all of our words is just saturated with stories of being in the system, you know? Res, residential schools, 60 scoop. How welfare, like it's it's just, and it it's pervasive. And so I never even thought twice about not sharing or not saying, like it truly never even occurred to me. Until I think, just from being in the local, like First Nations community, through my work, um, um, you know, where people kind of want to know where you come from and what brings you to the work, yeah? I, I'm having grown up in care always impacted the choices I made for the kinds of uh, practicum or practice choices I made or uh, the kind of research that I did. And that really shaped my whole career, my practice and research interests. Like it, it's always been at the forefront of what I do and why I do what I do and the kinds of topics and issues that I focused on in my frontline career and my research work. It's never not been there, or it's never not been a factor, a central factor. And I think, well, I just think that research partners and young people and families have in part trusted me and sought me out because of that. I mean, it creates a sense of lived understanding and a, you know, a sense of connection of having been through those colonial systems that have harmed our community so much over generations. Welcome to Hiring Care, an audio drama about lived experience. My name's Terry. You're listening to the second of seven episodes. Charlie, who you just heard, spoke about sharing that she grew up in care, disclosing her lived experiences. The majority of my career, my pattern has been to not disclose. There are very, very few people that, uh, know anything about my background. I don't think people need to know where I came from. However, if you are going to disclose, I think one piece about disclosure is it can't be about you. And disclosure is inherently about you. So how do you make a disclosure, but it's not about you? Like, if you're going to disclose something, how do you do it in a bare bones way to let the other person know there's a connection there without needing some of the details or emotion attached to it. I think you need to be in a place where you can share the information without it becoming about your own. Because if they hear like there's a pitch in your voice or something, they're immediately going to start to attend to you. And now you've defeated the purpose in my mind. Here we go. We begin with episode number two and our first conversation. Thanks. 
uh, everyone for finding the time to come together. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be having this conversation. Um, honestly, I'm not really sure where to start. Uh, how about we do some introductions? Yeah, that would be helpful. <laughs> okay. Um, well, my, my name's Charlotte. I am a white settler female working with um, Indigenous youth in care for an Indigenous-run organization. Um, I've been doing it for a little while now. I, I mean, not too long. Um, I, I graduated from a CYC program uh, about a year ago. Um, yeah. Uh, how about you go next, Alicia? Okay. Hi, I'm Alicia. I work for a large school board, which will remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> and I recently realized I've been working as the CYC now for as many years as I was in care. How old were you when you went into care? Just before I turned nine. I'll let you try and do the math. <laughs> oh. I can barely remember when I went into care. It was a, a little while after I moved here from the Caribbean. Uh, I, th I think it was like 2005? Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact dates either. I, I think that's part of the experience, you know. How do people contain those experiences and link them into their narrative of their life yeah for sure um maybe i'll go next my name is terry and oh uh sorry uh, i'm b <laughs> hi b uh i was in care for a short period of time less than two years many many years ago I do a bunch of different things. I'm a therapist. I teach, write, work in the community. But with everything, I am proudly CYC. Why do you say proudly? Because I, it kept me, I think, that's such a great question. Uh, um, I, I think because it keeps you connected to the, the, the kids. It, it's not steps behind. It's... Um, I really have a strong value that the life space is where the work is. It's loving. It's about love. That's what CYC is. It's about love and care. Yeah. Love and care, Terry. I get that. Um, my name's uh, Leela. So I do have employment with about six different organizations, actually. Six? different organizations yes in different capacities wow amazing tiring oh, exhausting <laughs> okay uh thanks everyone um yeah so as a child and youth care practitioner um you know we should probably spend the next I don't know, 30 minutes or so, doing some icebreakers, getting to know the activities. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but since some of us are working six jobs and, you know, all of us have a lot to do, would it be 
cool if we just kind of, you know, jumped right in? Please. Okay. So, all right. Okay. Um, maybe, okay, maybe like the first thing that we talk about is like, you know, like, is there like a point in, you know, even thinking intentionally in like, uh, you know, like about hiring people in CYC with child welfare or residential yes. placement experience? <laughs> All right, then. I mean, I think that they, us, could be so beneficial working with youth in care or uh, incarcerated, things like that. If Because it's like peer support in some ways, right? Which is invaluable. Like you, you have that invaluable experience that you can connect with these kids and youth and young adults in a different way on a different level. Um, you know, so I really think that professionals in the field really need to take that seriously and really um, grow that in their agencies. And this is new. It's only been, I think, you know, maybe in the last 10 years to be at that for someone to be able to say, yeah, I was a kid in care too, that people wouldn't then say, oh, you have boundary issues. Like instead of seeing that as a sense of wisdom, a different lens of, of awareness, if you wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been safe to acknowledge that necessarily, right? I think that my greatest strength, but also my greatest weakness is the fact that I'm from care because it helps me empathize, but it also, you know, it, it hits that soft spot. You know what I mean? I mean, just the experience that I have being in care and the perspectives that I have, I think being somebody who actually firsthand experienced a father with substance abuse, you know, a father who's been incarcerated, you know, a, a lot of violence, I, you know, just all this terrible stuff we read about who's experienced firsthand, I think that's invaluable for everybody else around me. Yeah, you know, I... I've been really trying to figure out what my identity is in regards to being a former youth in care and a CYC and how that is a superpower and how I voice that as a superpower. And I think for years, I've always thought that it was, it made me, it gave me a head start at being good at what I do. And it gave me a whole deck of, a whole pack of decks of empathy cards and allowed me to really look at the thing, look at the system and kids from a very different angle like I've always been like well how would you act if that was your life because I would be worse is what I would you know I felt like I felt like going into child and youth care allowed me to enter into into a field you know where like I had expertise right so so I felt like I almost like in a way like had a leg up from people um we're like you know, like some people will be gifted in, you know, like the math area. Um, well, like, like I felt that I was gifted in understanding um, like the system of care in a way, you know, but like, I think I, I think I chose child and youth care because it seems like such a natural fit. I'm mostly because like when I reflect on my lived in care experience, it's like, <laughs> I mean, like I, almost had like 19 years of frontline experience, you know? I've been a CYC since I was five, actually. People say, how long have you been in a CYC? Like my entire life. 
Yeah, I think for me, it's it, it all comes back to relationship. There's no way to get someone else's Like, do you think the biggest? I think the biggest thing is for them to understand foster parents, child and youth counselors who are not, who haven't been in care or had a kid in care, or any of that sort of thing, is to realize that going into care, whether it's a group home or a foster home or or a facility, it's like going to a country that you don't know the language. You don't know anything. Yeah, Alicia, I am. A big thing for me when I was in care, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, is that each home you go to, for the most part, they promise you all sorts of things. And that's something that we cannot do because promises sometimes cannot be kept. And that only just reinforces the fact, you know, they're always going to be alone or or no one's going to love them or just further breaks that possibility of a trusting relationship. And I know for me, going into my fourth foster home, hearing the same story about how we'll never, you know, you're with us now. I was very reluctant to trust anybody, and I was kind of isolated and withdrawn. Joining a family is like joining a whole new, like, little community, and they have their own rules, and they're unwritten. And you have to learn that all. I can say to learn that, that's something that it's hard to do. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really hard. For a long period of time... I did foster parent training and orientation and did home studies. So, you know, like I was really conscious of, you know, how do we bring kids into foster homes? How do we place them? How do we make sure that it's a nurturing place? How do we give messages about biological family that aren't um, unsupportive or negative and give messages and instead, helping the child to um, maintain a positive connection, you know, even with a parent that sexually assaulted them, right? Like, what were the good pieces? As well as you can have a voice to say, you know, that shouldn't have happened to me. Um, you know, it's, it's complex. It, th- there's no, it, it's not white and black. I don't think you can know everything and each case is individual and unique, but I do think they really have to put themselves in their shoes and realize like, Hey, what, what would I do if I didn't have these privileges and blessings that I have? How would I feel and really take that empathy and an understanding to a higher level? Because I think that, you know, sometimes people can be in their own bubble and it's only until you're, you're faced with the real world problem yourself is when you get a broader perspective. So I think that a lot of people, they they just need to be more aware of the severity of, you know, loneliness, loss, depression, anxiety, just lack of support, encouragement, nourishment, all these things that they have and may take for granted. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself sometimes. I think if you've never been part of the system, you have a different perspective on it, right? It isn't only the insider-outsider perspective, and nobody needs to know that I'm actually an insider when I'm talking about it. They just think that I know what I'm talking about, right? There's a great benefit where 
when it comes to the relational piece of being, you know, a lot more relatable. And the other thing that I definitely see is there's, there's a lot more patience with the young people and there's more understanding. And I find it's easier to explain things to young people. It's easier for me to do that. Yeah. I, I can get down on the level with some of the youth that no one else can, right? Like I can, I can relate to so many things, especially to the young girls who are like 16, 17 years old. Um, I, I definitely get how they're feeling. I relate really well with the youth who are on extended care and maintenance living on their own and dealing with their, their stuff on their own. I really can get down on their level and be, I was there like I, I 100% understand what you're going through. And so I find like that, that really gets the trust and it gets a hook with the kids um, and the youth and that other people may not be able to get. Um, honestly, uh, I think, uh, like the wording of how you speak to someone in care, um, is, is really, really important because you don't want to make it about you. You want to really, really make sure that the focus is on them and, and what they've gone through. Not saying like, I know, or, you know, kind of like that kind of wording. So what? We can't say, I understand, even when we do? Um, depending. like, So it really depends on your relationship with the person, um, and it depends on the situation. Like, if you say, I hate my foster parent, oh, I, I totally get that, but, but also not minimizing their hate for their foster parent, but in the same time, um, so I, I feel like... If you actually can relate to the situation, you can say, I know in certain tenses, but you also got to be careful you're not minimizing their experience. Um, last Friday, I had a I had a youth that came back like she was struggling a lot. Um, like three years ago, she would use and abuse cough and cold pills. So I'd constantly be at the hospital sitting there with her. And then she left our program. Like she didn't leave in a good phase. Like our youth that we had at the time weren't really, like they were bullies to her. So I kind of advocated for her to like go somewhere else, which sucks. But it was just the situation. But she ended up coming back to visit like two or three weeks ago. And she was a year sober and um, in grade 12. And she was telling me all about her plans um, to graduate high school. So I think it's like little moments like that, that kind of like validate like what, like what I'm doing or the purpose of what I'm doing. Um, this is a tricky thing, disclosing because I know that in our school, like we're taught about like, you know, having a balance of sharing um, what you know, kind of balancing sharing some and then not sharing as much. For me, for me, like I am, um, I know a lot of people have um, their opinions about whether or not it's smart to kind of give a little um, background of like what you grew up in. 
I definitely never really out and told people that I grew up in care, um, mainly because um, I just wouldn't want any of them to use that against me. I'm just saying that as like the youth involved. I know that other people like have different choices of how much they share, but whenever I'm at work, I definitely have told like the majority of my coworkers know but for me, I kind of look at it as it's about them. It's about the girls, not me. So, um, I, I think before she left, I mentioned, I had a conversation about kind of having a very similar upbringing to her. And I think when you get to know people, um, you're able to pick out when that time is to share certain things. And timing is everything. So I think if you're, you know, when you share something so personal, you're just giving it out there. Some people, um, some people might use that against you. Um, and for me, I, you know, like, if I know that I have a genuine connection, and if it's the right timing, I will share but it's definitely not something that I broadcast all the time. You've been listening to Hiring Care, season two of Tuning In to Child and Youth Care, an audio drama inquiry with child and youth care practitioners who have lived in residential placement a PhD study at the University of Victoria's School of Child and Youth Care. Hiring Care was created, recorded, and produced across many indigenous territories, including the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat and Patuan First Nations, the Anishinaabe, the Six Nations of the Haudenosaunee, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Actors recorded from diverse territories, including the ancestral homes of the Muncie, Lenape, and the Canarsie peoples, Wekizgeek, the Mohawk and Algonquin First Nations, the Ojibwe, Chippewa peoples, as well as the Beothuk and Mi'kmaq. Hiring Care was scripted from 10 one-on-one -on -one recorded conversations with child and youth care practitioners who had lived in group homes, foster homes, semi-independent living, and related child protection services while growing up. This fictionalized, audio drama inquiry recreation was performed by Carmen Mayers as Terry, Daniel Smith as Chelsea, D. Philpotts as Leela, D.M. Lafontune as Charlie, Evan Mercer as B, Melissa Williams as Charlotte, and Naomi Tesler as Alicia. Hiring Care was edited by Zoe Lunsky, Sound designed by Shaheen Ariften and scripted and directed by myself, Wolfgang Vachon. To learn more about Hiring Care, including cast, editors, and director bios, and to hear season one or read some of the publications coming out of this research project, please visit tuningintocyc.org. Thank you.